the same posters. What? You have down at your office. No, they're different. Well, I like the colors. We all did. Mm. Must have been a time, huh? A golden moment. Have you ever dreamed about a place you never really recalled being to before? A place that maybe only exists in your imagination? Someplace far away, half remembered when you wake up. When you were there though, you knew the language. Wasn't that either. It was just 66 and early 67. That's all I was. Hello and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max and it's just me doing the introduction this week. I had to split our episode on the Limey into two parts. This is the second part. Our conversation ran a bit long but I thought it was a worthwhile conversation so I wanted you guys to have all of it and I didn't want to have to cut out big pieces of it to make a single episode. I don't have any other housekeeping this week so without further ado I give you our past selves talking about the Limey. And when we were last speaking we had left Wilson and uh, his friend Lewis. I think that's his name. That, that might be the actor's name. Uh, Ed. Maybe Ed is the name. His friend were scoping out the party, I think, is where we left off. Uh, that that Terry Valentine was having. Wilson was a little confused because he's a kind of a blue-collar cr- criminal. He's, he's not used to seeing the kind of opulence that uh, Terry Valentine has. He confuses the valets for the house bodyguard. I thought this scene was really amazing uh, of Wilson and Ed checking the place out. Well, actually, from from start to finish, the whole party is one of the best scenes in the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. We get some of the the most crucial character development of Terry Valentine. He's got all these pictures of the 60s in his house. His girlfriend, his new girlfriend, very much younger than him. So there's quite a, uh, what is it? What do they call it? The winter, fall, uh, with the, the, the fall spring romance or something like that you know yeah. like where the where one party is a bit younger than the than the than the old than the other party well pause real quick because actually there is a scene before i believe it's before the party that we skipped over that we both wanted to talk about and that's the first scene with her where she's swimming in the swimming pool and um she's talking to him and there's a couple things we get from that conversation one we kind of get the impression that he's known her since she was a little girl oh right right and so you almost get the sense that he watched her grow up and once she came of age or maybe not of age he said um kind of bringing her into his orbit and there's the the line that she says about him that he's uh he's more of a he's not really a personality or a person he's Mm -hmm. more of a vibe oh yeah 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 and he smiles because he sees that as a good thing. Yes, yes. And she sort of sees it as a good thing too. She quite likes Terry Valentine. I don't know what I think of their relationship. I don't, I'm not really, I know sometimes people get really, uh, especially these days, they get really upset about, you know, even five-year differences in age, you know, and that people say that sort of get creeped out by it. And I don't know, I mean, I'm sure in some in some cases it's not healthy to have a big gap in age, but in other cases 
it's not. And I, so long as everybody's an adult and uh, and everything's consensual and and both members of the couple are happy, I don't really have I don't really have much to say about their age difference. Does it bother you? Um, unless of course, like what you said was if he was grooming her, then there's a problem there, obviously, right? Well, um, well, see, I read into that. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that she knows that though, because okay. that's who he is. The script is really, really tight and smart here in terms of giving us those little snapshots. Yeah. I talked about this in the uh, in the previous often interrupted conversation about how this script is very good in a noir-like sense of giving us these little bite-sized nuggets of dialogue that tell us a lot about the person. There's a scene where she's in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. And she talks about the the posters on the wall. That, and- that, that happens at the party. She's still, she's still getting ready for the party that's already happening. Right, right. Right, right. So, you know, so now now we're uh, we're back at the party and uh, and you were you were just about to talk about this scene. So, yeah. Well, uh, I think they have I think they have really interesting conversations that uh, reveal a lot about each other and about. Yes. Uh, 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 and about their pasts, we get a lot of the history of their relationship with a very little bit of dialogue. And then we get a little bit of his history and sort of about what he feels about his past. And so these pictures on the wall are, for, uh, you know, sick, iconic 60s imagery. And she was like, well, man, that was a must have been a great time to be alive. And he says, he has this really, this this little scene here uh, actually gave me an incredible respect for Peter, Fon- uh, Peter Fonda yeah. as an actor. And he was like, he doesn't answer directly. He sort of approaches her, her observation at kind of a 90 degree angle right and he's like have you ever had a have you ever woken up from a dream and you know you remember a lot of it but nothing of it very precisely and and a lot of what you think was real about it wasn't he he has this big dialogue and he was like that was the 60s and you know mostly it was just 67 and early 68 is what he said no no 66 and early 67 oh early 66 and early 67 okay i i loved that because you know i i I like the 60s I'm very interested in 60s culture yeah. and to me that that line doubled as kind of a, a a commentary on 60s culture that that I that I actually see you know that that you know everything kind of led up to the summer of love and then that dream of acid and peace and and love and all this kind of thing began to devolve into a more of a more of a, a, a darker vibe and we I get the sense that Terry Valentine this character he he really plugged into that specific period yes and pretty much stayed there i mean he, i mean he realized it was not something i, I mean actually I, I i even there's a quote in the beatles anthology from john lennon in which he talked about you know the the hippie dream of living on the hate ashbury and all of that and, and then but it didn't come true yeah and so from that from that time there was this kind of this brief moment where there was this belief where people could just kind of live kind of they could color outside the lines permanently and that, that's what the future was going to be like. And Terry Valentine, as everybody else, discovered that that's not how it would be. But Terry Valentine was able to organize his career and life in such a way that he's been able to kind of keep that going in his own life. But he's very aware that it dried up every place else. Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because you pointed out that 
that it squares him directly in that he's he was never a radical. He was never a revolutionary. He was never up into the politics because it's interesting. His conception of the 60s is very different from I, I, a few years ago. I read Christopher Hitchens's autobiography and the big year of the 60s for him was 68. Yeah. And he talks about how he saw 68 coming and when not a lot of other people, especially from that hippy dippy period, those people didn't see the darkness coming, whereas some of the more politically in tune people did, it seems yeah. like. And uh, I could be getting some of that wrong, but it is interesting that like everybody sort of experienced the 60s a little differently. No, I think and, you're I think you're absolutely nailing it. I mean, you're 1968, you have the, the Chicago protests slash riot at the at the convention in Chicago, more violence in the news. Of course, the Vietnam was always in the background, but even in 66 and 67, but in 66 and 67, um, a lot of the movement was more philosophical, not political. Yeah. When it became more political, then yeah, that's where you know protest movements and, all, and and the political backlash that came from that from the from the established order, so to speak, which kind of interrupted the dream. I think from people to, up to this day. <laughs> Yeah, right, 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 right. So what I, what, I, what I love about this scene is is the way it captures how he certainly enjoyed that period, but also how he's almost thoroughly disillusioned by it. I mean, he's gone completely the other way. Everything, the things that got him in trouble and that have gotten him in trouble with Wilson and with Ginny are the need to be wealthy and connected and to maintain his his lavish lifestyle. You know, he's, he's not the hippie that he once was. And, yeah. and so it is interesting like uh how radically different he is from the person he was in the 60s and how you know he's okay he seems okay with that you know when he yep. talks to her about that he, he doesn't he's not sad about his loss of uh of ideals i don't think you know what he's what he's sad about and scared about now is that he thinks he's in trouble <laughs> And it's an interesting thing for her because she seems a little sad after that, though she's also very interested in the kind of maturity of his speech. You know what I mean? So I think it's brilliant. And I think that the actress who plays her, Adara, I think is her name, Amelia Heinel, she, I don't know if she got the, I haven't seen a lot of reviews that mention her, but she deserves so much credit for really helping craft a very full movie. She's a very interesting character. She's a very uh, subtle and mature character. And uh, I, I like her quite a lot uh and you know, kind of the way she she works in this film i don't know what, what else she's done but she was i thought she was amazing i agree but while this is going on and while the party's going on while there's a lot of glad handing our heroes ed and 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 wilson are are scoping the place they, they just walk right in because it's la they have an okay car and and they just hand the keys to the valet wilson tortures the poor valet with some cockney slang earlier in the film ed complains about how jennifer really loved how nice terry was and his smile and he was like, but he his experience of Terry was like he never acknowledged me, he never looked at me, he never he never saw me, and and like his, that great line, that motherfucker never smiled at me, <laughs> and and they bump into each other while getting hors d'oeuvres, and it's exactly as Ed said, Terry has no memory of him, he's not shocked that he's there. This is her best friend who died after seeing Terry. We don't know how yet. Right. And he doesn't recognize Ed no. at all. And I think that's also pretty revealing of Terry's character. Yeah. He, he um, the, these, uh, well, 
these women that he brings into his life are are really just window dressings to his ego. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, al- al- although he he is a likable person, he does exude the vibe, and and he's very proud of the fact that he's been able to exude this vibe his whole life. Yeah. Yep. Um, from that time to um, to this time, he's kind of a he's still a pop culture figure in L.A., which is an important thing. Yes. 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 Now, now that you've said that, now I, I can say that I do have an opinion about the differences between, so there's an age difference here, right, between uh, Adara and Terry. And it's not the age difference that I have necessarily a problem with. It is, there is, you said, you said Terry's likable, and I think that that's fair, but he's also not a good guy. No, he's not. He, he's he's definitely a fraudulent person. Yes. And and there's, there's a predatory element to the way he, I think that he, when he's with these women, he likes them a lot but i get the sense with him and this is where i have the problem the moment these women cross a certain age threshold or when they start showing a certain age threshold i bet you he loses interest i i agree now i get the sense that that adhara that his current girl she knows that and she accepts that she seems to yeah so in watching her character i kind of saw her as kind of recognizing that this was this was one of her ends to that la culture whereas jenny did not one of the things I keep asking myself, because we're not really sure completely, because we never really meet Jenny, what she thought of him. And I feel like that Jenny, that's not thats not what she saw in Terry. Because Jenny, you know, as we will discover later, is a little bit more concerned about the kinds of choices that Terry makes. Whereas I think, I don't think uh, Adara would. No, no we, we see clearly that she's not that concerned, actually. She might have questions, but she doesn't have judgments. I'm not criticizing Adara. You know, she's sort of using the situation to her benefit. I get the sense that that's what's going on. Well, but, but also I implied, or I feel the movie implies yeah. from earlier conversation that Adhar is from L.A. Yes. She 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 is she's immersed in this social system. Yes. Her, 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 her dad might have been the same kind of person as Terry Valentine. That's exactly right. That's exactly whereas, right. Whereas Jenny's not from L.A. No. She came... From from out of town and and we assume went there to 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 plug herself into the 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 artistic system there. But she's but she's an outsider, and so you know she was exposed to different experiences that she brings with her that inspire her to to engage with all the people that she meets in a way that that's different than what a, a Adara would do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like uh, yeah, Jennifer is in some ways quite. Smart and savvy and very capable of moving in all kinds of social circles. I mean, she's basically her best friend is basically the same kind of guy her dad was, right? Yeah. So working class, but like everybody, there's I, I can't remember what the book is, but uh, uh, or maybe it was a song. But whenever you hear like L.A. insiders talk about it, you know everybody's writing a screenplay, everybody's trying to, you know, everybody has their SAG card or whatever, you know, everybody's trying to get into the business. And so it's interesting. She even tries that. I don't know if that's what she went to L.A. for. You know, when when Ed says, "Oh, she's in my acting class," even Wilson seems a little surprised by that. But you know, but maybe Jen was just like, "Well, maybe." You you know, uh, she was pretty good at being an actor when she was growing up. Probably she probably had to be a bit of a fabricator. Her dad being who he was, right? Yeah. And and her coach Leslie Ann Warren's Elaine thought she was a natural. They're in the house scoping it out. We've gotten a little sidetracked. I'll bring us back on to uh, on onto task. Wilson. I think we even get a little bit of how Wilson's a little more ethical than Terry because when Wilson's like scoping the house, there's a moment where he could have snuck up and observed Elaine 
in in the tub and and been leery in that way but he doesn't ever do that the only time he checks her out is to make sure she's not looking when he needs to make his because he sort of gets he doesn't realize she's around at first and then uh and then he's got to figure out a way to get out of the out of terry's bedrooms area without being seen right because he's not ready to reveal his hand to terry just yet and he sneaks out but i i I like that we see wilson being a little more ethical he's not necessarily a good guy either likable yes but uh they're Wilson and Valentine are likable and unlikable in different ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, they both have had life experiences where the arc of that life has 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 sent them down certain paths. I mean, whether or not Wilson likes himself, we never really find out. All we really know is that at this moment, he's he has a singleness of purpose. Well, that's true. And it's interesting. I get the sense that they're both wealthy and they're both wealthy from the 60s. I didn't notice this until I read it in a, in a Roger Ebert review. Uh, Wilson had, before he went away for nine years or so, he had a big robbery where he stole the take from a big 60s band concert it was i think it was the uh, the who or something like that right yeah, yeah but you get the sense for the most part that wilson has no connection with the 60s in the way that valentine has, has a connection with it right wilson was working he wasn't affected by the politics of the time he wasn't affected by the the hate ashburyness of the 60s he was in and out of prison the whole time but he was socking away the money that he earned you know and so when he comes to la he's actually quite he's doing quite well for himself but i thought that was interesting and i have to credit that observation to good old Roger Ebert. But finally, Wilson sees Valentine and he sees this is a great time to make him pay. And we get like these great, we get Wilson rehearsing what's going to happen in his mind. He's going to walk up and we see different versions of him walking up and blazing away on Terry Valentine. But but like the the scene in Creepshow with Hal Holbrook, Mm -hmm. it's happening in his head. It's not Mm -hmm. him doing this. Yeah, but it's it's uh, the, the 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 scenes of violence are kind of shocking and and I think it's really well done. And then we come up to the to the time where he I mean he's making his way and weaving through the crowd and he's this is the real time. And as he's about to pull out his gun, Ed is there and is like not here, man, not here. And it's really brilliant and Wilson allows himself to be led away. He knows Ed's right. Um you, you know it's interesting this just occurred to me, and I hope that I'm remembering correctly, because I think I noticed this. In all of the instances that he rehearsed, one time he shoots him through the elbow. Yep. One time he shoots him, I think, in the chest, another time in the head. Yep. In all of the instances, Adara's standing next to him, and she doesn't scream or anything. And I actually, or, or, I mean, maybe, maybe looks surprised. Yep. I kind of, one of the things that's interesting about that is that this is happening in Wilson's imagination. Yes. And so the, the Adara that we see in his imagination is a character in his imagination it's not the real adara yes yes and so it's interesting that you know he it's almost the acting choice and the direction choice is kind of symbolic of wilson's singleness of purpose because the reactions of everybody else in the room really don't mean anything to him no so in the rehearsal in his imagination they're not going to respond they're just going to be but like adara's presence in that moment is almost like as important to wilson as the as the presence of the punch bowl yes that's right that's right so yeah so i if i'm remembering correctly because i think i zeroed in on that there might be a little surprise in her reaction but it's not what you would expect to some someone to react that the person they're standing next to is getting blown away yeah 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 no i think in one of the the one of the instances she kind of flinches but 
yeah, I, I, I don't know if I noticed that, but that's an interesting observation. All that, all that matters to him is, is Valentine getting Valentine. And later on, Wilson will, will basically say Ed was right and say that the way he was thinking about doing it was too easy because he doesn't know why I'm doing it. Yeah. But before yeah. that, we can just see Wilson be kind of the dangerous guy that, that Valentine is worried about because Valentine does see this exchange between Ed and Wilson and he's really frightened because Terrence Stamp looks scary in this scene and, and Terry Valentine's whole demeanor changes and he calls his bodyguard and says, hey, you got to get this guy out of here or you got to go deal with him. And this big bodyguard, I think this 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 guy's a stunt player or he plays like a heavy sometimes. You've seen this guy's face a few times in movies and he walks up to Wilson and this all happens far in the background and it's kind of brilliant. The guy uh, the guy starts walking towards him and, and Wilson and Ed are uh, on the pool and Wilson spots it spots the guy and he's like hey go get the car around <laughs> have it pointed downhill and the guy walks up to him and, and we just see this it's almost out of focus in the background and as the guy is a is a is accosting Wilson Wilson headbutts him while Terry Valentine is engaged in Terry now thinks everything's okay because he's just sent his giant out to deal with the with the with the with the problem and behind him as he's holding forth and being charming Wilson headbutts the guy and throws him off the balcony happens really fast and it's really funny as he's walking out nobody's noticed it it happened so fast nobody noticed what happened right yeah and wilson exits stage right and then somebody notices that somebody has taken a header yeah. off the pool and then he turns around and expecting everything to be solved and he goes valentine goes right back to being panicked and he sees he goes to go see what happened and he sees wilson leaving and wilson kind of gives it looks at him and then gives a smile and walks out wilson has begun the terrorizing a bit more you know and he's he, wilson really revels in the terrorizing the he's just done and the fear that he's put in valentine and we get another nice valentine moment because wilson and uh we get an action beat too don't we yes because as wilson's leaving he and ed are taken off and avery yeah avery valentine's enforcer goes and chases after them yeah and and uh excuse me can i help you and then he pushes him out of the way jump in the car and then they they make a run for it and avery goes after them yeah and so Avery and this is this is kind of a, a kind of a very a fairly realistic action beat. It's not very cinematic. It's just real and gritty. You know, they have a little gunfire exchange. Cars bash into each other a little bit. Ed and Wilson make their escape, right? And uh, Avery comes back, and the police are all over the place. Now we get another great Valentine moment. We get to see Valentine thinking on his feet a little bit. And Avery's like, "Oh, you shouldn't. You should have waited till I got back. Let me handle talking to the cops." So what did you say? And Avery says, "Well, I said." that you know this guy's had a lot of trouble he's been depressed he has a drug problem and we think that he just uh, he's always been suicidal lately all of which happens to be true <laughs> and and so we think he took a header off the porch he doesn't really care about the guy yeah and avery in fact doesn't care about the guy he says oh that was really good yeah, yeah because, because at this point because i mean really you know in this instance valentine no one at the party did anything wrong so He's so wanting to keep the cards close to the vest, not get the police hovering around, that his bodyguard's life is just totally disposable. Oh, absolutely. Well, you get the sense, I think we'll see that everybody's disposable to Terry Valentine. Yeah. Uh, even people that he that he probably thinks he cares about. Yeah. Like Terry doesn't say that somebody threw my bodyguard off the balcony, which is what somebody, which is what I would say. <laughs> you know. Ah. Because because I wouldn't be involved in a bunch of illegal shit, right? right? So I would say a person who was not 
behind the legal eight ball would say somebody fucking killed my bodyguard a british guy really dangerous save me police officers um but he doesn't want to do that so he sends avery 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 goes and hires a guy who he's had kill people before at a pool hall this character uh, played by nikki cat uh is the plays the hitman stacy who's sort of a, a thug who thinks he's a lot more capable than he is yeah he's a great character i mean and by that i mean he's just interesting he's an awful person i don't like the character that he plays but nikki cat inhabits this role of uh of an awful awful person who uh to whom other, i mean his attitude towards other people is the same as valentine's and avery's with the exception of this uh, little uh friend of his who seems to be sort of his george from of mice and men you know and so he he's been hired to kill the british guy and it almost works out I, i'm gonna speed through this uh audience see the movie to see some of his great scenes but while he's scoping the limey out, that is to say, Wilson, Wilson and the line, Wilson and Nikki Cat here, Stacy, the hitman, uh, are being scoped out by another organization, and this is basically what saves Wilson when Cat, when, when I'm sorry, when Stacy and his friend are about to try and kill Wilson, they all get accosted by a whole another group of people. Turns out that uh, it's the what is it, the DEA? DEA, yeah. Drug. And this is another noir moment here. Uh, Bill Duke, the famous. Bill Duke, who's been in our podcast before. He played Mac in Predator. Yeah. And, and, and Bill Duke is a great character actor and a very, very solid uh, thriller director in his own right. He plays this DEA agent who uh, is very curious about what Wilson's up to. And Wilson just, Wilson gets the sense that they're dirty cops and that that the person who Valentine screwed over is these guys. He, uh, sorry, Bill Duke's character, the DEA agent, and Wilson have some great exchanges. We get, we get Wilson trying to explain to him who he is and what he what he's about and tr- Wilson trying to be slippery to get out of being arrested or whatever we get this really long cockney scene with Wilson explaining everything to to Bill Duke and it's brilliant I won't even try and do it see the movie to watch Terrence Stamp amaze you with his acting and Bill Duke responds the way every English American English speaker would respond he says after the soliloquy there's one thing I don't understand what's that every fucking thing that just came out of your mouth <laughs> and then Bill Duke's uh, DEA agent sort of explains things to him about how he can't really prove anything how he knows everything but there's no evidence of what he he's worried about and so he basically says to Wilson, so I'm left with this situation where I need to resolve the issue, but I can't do it because Terrence, Terry Valentine is so slippery. Right. And then he says, oh, here are my slippery fingers again. And he just spills his paperwork in front of Wilson, which show Wilson where Terry, Terry Valentine's going to be that weekend, right? Yeah, his ha- house in Big Sur. House in Big Sur. What did you think of this scene? And what did you think of, I mean, I think it fits with the movie. Did you, it was a surprising scene. What did you think of it? Oh, I, I, I thought it was great, you know, just to kind of see his, the kind of the kind of double cross stuff that's kind of going on. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, in many ways, this whole series of exchanges sets up the final the final act, which is really amazing that that, you know, we're already almost to the final act. Absolutely. Yeah. Once again, the dialogue, the performances, everything, everything's just really, really tight story structure. Every, everything just holds together really well. Absolutely. And through this, we get like this, we get everything we need to know about the Bill Duke character. I mean, he's dedicated to cleaning up his streets so much so that he's perhaps unethical in the pursuit of his of his law enforcement because I mean, 
lets a pretty hardened criminal. He lets three hardened criminals go away. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't arrest Stacy. He doesn't arrest. He doesn't arrest Wilson. And this actually goes back to, like you said, setting up the third act because Stacy is a little embarrassed about what's happened, and and he gets cut loose from Avery, and yeah. they're all headed, and he finds out that they're headed up to Big Sur, and what he thinks is that there's some big deal going down because he thinks that that the people who attack them are some black gang, is what he says. You know, he, he uses different words, and I'm not going to use the racist language, of course, that Stacy uses. Stacy is a really awful person, but he thinks that he doesn't realize they're law enforcement. He thinks it's another gang, and he thinks there's a big deal going down. And what he, the brilliant plan he concocts, Stacy is ambitious. Stacy wants to make money. Stacy is not a very good criminal. He's a good thug, but he's not a smart guy. Basically, basically, what ends up getting in le- unleashed on Valentine and Avery it, uh, are these kind of ungoverned forces that Valentine and Avery are just not going to be ready for. Like, yeah. I mean, I get the sense because um, like you still have not gone through Breaking Bad yet, have you? I have not. No. no. Well, um, the, uh, those listeners who have will probably agree with me that the character of Avery reminds me a lot of uh, Mike, which is played by Jonathan Banks in um, Breaking Bad as kind of the um, uh, almost like the Winston Wolf type character who, you know, works for somebody and solves all of the problems and keeps them safe. But this is now a situation that is going, and he's a capable guy. We talked about that in the first half of the movie. I'm talking about Avery now. Yeah. But really, there are now these kind of ungovernable forces, all acting uh, according to their own preconceptions of valentine which are wrong in but in both ways as we'll as we'll find out even wilson doesn't have the full story as to what actually happened between jenny and valentine he's got most of it right but he doesn't have motivations or anything like that so really there's just kind of these these kind of yeah these chaotic forces that are all going to converge on on valentine and the dea just kind of allows that to happen yeah yeah um he doesn't necessarily the bill duke character doesn't necessarily care if Wilson's successful. And I think that he let these guys loose, Stacy and his friend, largely because to bring them in would mean he has to bring in Wilson as well. And yeah. I mean, he knows these guys are going to end up dead sometime in the future anyway, right? Right, right. He just not quite, he might not know how immediately prescient that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That understanding of their life and their lifestyle is so. These guys misunderstand everything. His uh, Stacy's friends like, what do you think's there? Drugs or, uh, or money? And so we're lucky both, but whatever it is, it's got to be a lot. So they're going to go in, and they're. Ba- I think I get the sense that their basic plan is to kill everybody and take whatever's there. Wilson is about to converge on Big Sur as well, and his plan is mostly just to kill Valentine, get the information that is missing from his his understanding, right? And I mean, he'll kill anybody else who gets in his way. Yeah, but but that's not his goal. He's not really uh, vindictive in that way, right? Valentine's who he wants, and he wants Valentine to know. Yes, doing this, yeah, exactly. And so before the final bell rings. There's a neat scene where Valentine and Adara are talking and she's like, why are we here? She's trying to get some information out of him. Or this might happen in the car on their way up to Big Sur. And she's like, and she's like well, what do, you, why, what do you think? And he was like, well, I know you're in trouble. And he's like, well, yeah, I am. Uh, there's a guy after me, but we're going to go here until the, this all blows over. I'm sorry I brought you into this. And she's like, well, I know you don't want to be alone. And, and he says, I'm glad you understand that about me. Every, this goes back to what you were saying earlier. Everybody is a 
means to Valentine's ends. I bet when he looks in the mirror, he tells himself that he really cares about Adara. He told he told himself that he really cared about Jenny. But in the end, all of the things that he does is to gratify his own needs and serve them. Like you said, I, Adara, Adara under, must understand that about him. She, she, she knows that, it. You know? um, yeah. I think that that's interesting about her. I think her character is really fascinating. Uh, I agree. And I mean, they're all kind of fascinating characters. So that, that conversation happens and I think it's insightful and important. Shortly afterwards, uh, the shit hits the fan for everybody. Uh, Wilson gets to the place first and starts picking off the bodyguards. Most of the time, he's not killing them. He does kill one of them, I think. But while he's while he's being very stealthy and everybody inside the Big Sur cabin gets scared and they retreat behind the bar, Avery sends somebody out. And I think Stacy kills that person. Yes. And and Avery thinks it's Wilson. And Stacy, again, not very bright, crosses <laughs> uh, Avery's sight line and gets shot. And this is where Adara certainly starts to betray some of her fear, right? Uh, yeah. And she's like, we should call the cops and nobody wants to do that. They won't let her, you know. I have to say that, that might be the wrong play here because like at this point, there are bodies on your property. You're not. <laughs> yeah. It's time to call them the professionals, right? Right. Uh, get to your safe space and call the cops and hope hope they get there before whatever's going on happens. But Avery pulls off some shots. Stacy goes down. Avery gets eager and runs out to maybe finish the job and gets shot immediately by I think Stacy's buddy. Yeah. Well, well, uh, and, and just to, and just to kind of linger on that for just a second is you know the point that I made about um, basically um, all hell is broken loose because it's not just one interested party that's come in, and so that's why. Avery doesn't have a a full assess an accurate assessment of what they're dealing with because who would have expected that there would be two yeah 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 armies converging on the property absolutely I think Avery does end up shooting the guy before Stacy's buddy before he himself dies uh, yeah. he lingers on a bit but you're right. They don't really understand the situation on the ground and they behave absolutely as if they understand everything that's going on. But when Avery goes down and there's extra gunfire, Terry Valentine reveals his true colors. He absolutely abandons Adara without any, like there's nothing. I mean, I, I was I was actually a little shocked when I first saw this. Like, oh, he just fucking left her. Yeah. He doesn't know what these people want. He doesn't know how bad Wilson is. Maybe Wilson, maybe Wilson is somebody like really awful who would kill everybody in the room you know and wilson slowly wilson a lot of wilson's work has been done for him <laughs> <laughs> right right and and you get the sense that maybe something like these kinds of things have happened to him before because he takes everything in stride yeah. he was playing it very stealthy so he might have seen the other guys operating you know and so he was just hanging back until certain things resolved wilson is the smartest criminal in the movie no doubt no doubt um, and he slowly without any worry chases terry down even though terry's shooting at him wildly wilson doesn't wilson never even flinches at any of the shots they're all yeah. wild they're all wide and then poor terry breaks his ankle on the beach Wilson approaches him very slowly and demands to know what happened. And this is the twist in the movie that I have always questioned whether I was satisfied with. Okay. It's brilliantly done. So I can't criticize it on any of its technical merits. And it's it's only one decision by Soderbergh and the writer that I wonder about. And I constantly flip-flop. Wilson gets the story and it ties into another story he's told. Earlier in the film, Jason and I didn't talk about this. Wilson, his daughter knew when he was going to do a job. He would always try and keep it low but she knew her dad and she would always threaten to call the police on him and she never meant it she never did it she never called 
the law on you, she would say to him. And he was like, oh, and he's telling Elaine this story. And, and Elaine says, she never would have called the cops on you. And she said, oh, I know. Uh, Wilson, Wilson was never worried about it. But it was a really interesting moment where on the last job where he ended up doing a long stretch in prison for his daughter sensed that it was a dangerous job and that he wasn't necessarily running with the right people. Because we also get this. We also learn a little bit that that Wilson, Wilson gets Wilson got betrayed by some of the people he was working with and he got left sort of holding the the uh, culpability bag alone. But, but she said, when you get out, you know, it's going to be a long time before you get out and I'm not going to be here when you get back. She's she kind of tired of it. But so she has this sense of criminal activity. She grew up around criminals her whole life, right? In the way Adara grew up in LA and understood it's... it's. Yeah, I was going to make that same connection. Oh, sorry, sorry. She understood its rhythms. She, Elaine, I'm sorry, Jennifer knew criminal elements. She had that same kind of fighty sense. And she realized that Valentine was getting into some stuff. Yeah, but, but see, I think she brought her own pre preconceptions based on her own experience and how she was raised. And so she responded to Terry in a way that Terry didn't expect. Exactly. He's probably probably used to girls like Adara who grew up in the LA vibe and, and um, love their California dreaming. And they just want a, a, a piece of his vibe. Whereas Jenny came from a very different relationship with her, her father who she adored. And, and, and she brought that into this dynamic with, with Terry and behaved a little bit differently than. Yes. Once you take it away, what does Jenny do when she discovers this about Terry? She, she does the same thing that she, um, um, she behaves in the exact same manner that she behaved with her father. She threatens to call and turn him in, hoping that that will deter him from what he's doing. But whereas, you know, you just point, you pointed out that uh, that Wilson absolutely knew that she was not ever going to turn turn him in. Terry panicked and accidentally kills her. Yes. Because he thought she would. that's exactly what she was going to do. And then they had to arrange a, a, a fake accident to explain how she died, which, which Avery did, which is very much something that Mike would have fixed in, in Breaking Bad. That's why. Yeah. Basically, in this final moment, Wilson kind of discovers that um, part of... Part of, of what happened to Jenny was very, very connected to what had happened in his in her relationship with him and was kind of and was kind of a precondition to what happened. Yeah. Now Terry Valentine tells the story. I don't know how much I believe his he's an unreliable narrator. At this point, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what I don't believe about him is when he talks about how much he actually cared about Jenny and how he loved her and it was an act. I, I I think that again, I don't trust Terry's commentary about his feelings for anybody. I do think that it probably was an accident to the extent that killing somebody while you're shaking them hard is an accident. You know, it was a, it was a violent attack, obviously, but I, I don't think that he intended to kill her. But in the scene where Avery and his bodyguard uh, are taking care of things, I don't necessarily sense that the tears that we see in the flashback are for Jenny so much as they are for he thinks that he's in trouble. Oh, definitely. That's you know, I mean, there might be some, oh, it's too bad that that happened. But, you know, when we meet him in the movie early on he has moved on he doesn't ever betray any guilt about what happened to jenny again the tears that and the begging and the sorrow that wilson is seeing as wilson
person's about to kill him are all again about Terry Terry's problems, right? So my problem, Wilson has this realization that that some of the behavioral patterns between he and his daughter have sort of led to her death. And he leaves and doesn't kill Terry Valentine. And my problem here is, yeah, there were those preconditions, but I thought that didn't absolve Terry Valentine. And I thought Wilson should have fucking killed him. That was what, that's the disappointment that I have in the film. And when I'm watching and I'm like, ah, I sort of understand why he would be shocked by that, but I don't know why he walked away and let Terry. I mean, Terry's ruined at this point, no matter what, because the cops are going to arrive and there's no way Terry gets out of that. And maybe Wilson is comfortable with that. That's not why Wilson left. Wilson felt res- what I get. Wilson feels responsible for what happened to his daughter. And that's why he left. And maybe maybe he just realized that that killing Terry Valentine wasn't going to absolve, wasn't going to change the feeling he had about his responsibility. So he just left. And, and maybe I'm doing a disservice here in my questioning here about I'm putting myself in Wilson's shoes. And and, and that's not fair to Wilson, I guess. Well, I mean, to me, I mean, I, I thought about what you're talking about uh, in terms terms of that but but i get and um but actually when i watched the movie this time and in my reflections on it in the in the days after that i actually realized you know this is a noir thriller but really if you if you distill this movie down to its thematic essence it's really a it's a really it's a father-daughter story yeah it's yeah. actually more this movie is about wilson and his relationship with his daughter who we never really meet now, jenny is played in flashbacks by melissa george who's a m- much more recognizable today than she would have been when she made this and not that she's been in a lot but to me that's really what this movie is about because um what Wilson discovers is that what he was, I mean, I'm kind of reading into it now, but I mean, that what he was looking for was some kind of closure in his relationship with his daughter because he um, he kind of let his daughter down yeah. in, in, in a very different way, in a very different way. But, but, but Wilson, this movie is about Wilson looking for redemption, about a regret that he had. And that is what separates Wilson from Valentine, is that Wilson, Terry Valentine would never, even if he was capable, do anything like this for any woman that he's ever known no but wilson does wilson desperately wants some closure and i think the reason why he doesn't kill valentine is because really he kind of he kind of in that moment found the closure and that he could he could kind of he could kind of walk away i i don't have a problem with it i i understand what you're saying and that would not have been a bad ending no no maybe maybe and i guess this is a question i would pose would it thematically change the movie because as it stands to me the movie is and I and I and I read somewhere somebody compared this movie to Point Blank, which is the John Borman film from the late '60s. And there's been this movie's been done hundreds of times. You know, the the, the criminal or hitman who's double crossed or is seeking revenge for something and goes on, on and that. But in, in this case, this movie is is a little bit more character driven than it is action driven. And that in the end, it's not the revenge was not the point. The point was Wilson's redemptive journey. It's a very personal redemptive journey because and it's almost none of our business but it's because we never really even we never get to meet jenny and that's why so much of this movie does not 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 a majority of it but there's so many scenes that take place in wilson's head because this movie is not it's 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 not our business it's not our journey it's it's his journey his perceptions are more important and his relationship with his daughter that we never meet really is actually 
the important thematic material of the movie. So I would defend the end. Well, no, I, and, and you've actually helped me resolve the problem. And, and I sort of hinted at it when I was saying this. And, and, you know, when I was talking about like my questioning of his choices, because I'm putting myself in his shoes and I don't have the same kinds of relationships with my friends or my kids that he's had. And right. maybe it wasn't fair. And it, I don't think now that it was fair of me to impose my sensibilities on Wilson, because you're right, this is Wilson's story. And now I, I, I think I've, I've, uh, you know, I, I'm able to kind of come to terms with the ending because of what you've just said. If he kills Valentine, then everything he's been doing has been just for his own sake. Right. By walking away, it it puts an exclamation point on the fact that this was about Jenny yes. and about his relationship with Jenny and about about resolving that in his mind in some way. And so then if he kills the guy, then it's, then it's just about him and it's about his emotional needs. And then he's a little bit too much like Valentine at that point, you know? And so I, I like what you said. I know that, no, I, I think now I, I can let my my problem with the ending, which was always minor, go. Because I've watched this movie several times over the years and I'll continue to watch it. But I always wondered about that ending. And now, now you know, now I like I like that twist, if it is a twist, more than I did than I ever have. So no, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you you held forth. And that takes us to the end of the movie, guys. Uh, Wilson flies back to London, sort of has an interesting recap with a lady on the plane, and she doesn't understand what he's saying, and that's all right, because that's just for him to kind of order the events in his mind i think the score jason yeah um go ahead take it away yeah i actually i, I i've been trying to figure out a, a good place to, to mention that because there were several times that i wanted to the music is done by uh cliff martinez who i'm not familiar with but one of the things about the score that i really like is that uh, and not just the score but the soundtrack as well this is very the music is has very much of an la feel to it so folks I, i've never been to los angeles i've always suspected it's a city that i i wouldn't aesthetically like, but I actually love LA music. I mean, I, I think the pop music that has come out of Los Angeles uh, historically has always been very creative, very cutting edge, and always pressed boundaries and always in included multiple genres. And I think that um, there are moments in the score that are that are kind of psychedelic. But then like, for example, in the car chase down uh, from Valentine's house, it almost has kind of a jazz feel to it with a lot of percussion. Uh, and then the soundtrack choices, which as a big fan of Los Angeles pop music, I loved all of the, the choices. And I wanted to kind of single out because I'm a big admirer of the birds, I think, who were who came out of the L.A. scene, America's answer to the Beatles, so to speak. But the birds were, I still think, are the most creative band to come out of the United States. And, and listening to their catalog has always been a joy to me. But and, and because they also had a lot of songs that they never released that were only released many years later. And they, they have a song by the birds called it happens each day which i can't remember when it plays i know it's during it's during a a, a a shot of a drive down the highway i can't remember if it's on the way to big sur or if it's earlier in the movie but uh it happens each day with david crosby on the vocal which is just a beautiful beautiful song and the fact that they used it demonstrated to me that that the music was assembled by people who understood the la vibe the visuals in the movie are all very la the dialogue is very la and the music to me is very LA. So it gets top, top marks for me. I, I sorry for, you know, going a little bit long window on that, 
but this is um, this is a, a musical kind of galaxy that is important to me. And so I wanted, I did want to comment on that. The song choice also were very deliberate and they were used to enhance character development in some ways. Because this is, like I said, this is, I said this earlier that at the, at the top of the show, this is an 88 minute movie and it has to do a lot of work and it uses the songs, which are very much the, the soundtrack very much uses the songs to help us understand Terry Valentine. These are his songs. This is his era, right? And this, sometimes the songs even go to describing him a little bit, you know, and which, which is interesting. Uh, Roger Ebert said that this film is about the three old men in the film. It's about retirement. It's about, it's about them. And so then that, by that he meant Avery, Valentine and Wilson, but, but the, the sound, the, the soundtracks, real the sound, the, the, the songs that were selected seem very much about helping us understand Valentine. Did you, do you get that? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I also, I, I, I know for a fact, that Peter Fonda was a big fan of the birds. So I wonder if either he helped with that or if uh, Cliff Martinez just knew that and incorporated it because in some ways, Peter Fonda is kind of playing a um, the 60s version of maybe even himself. Yeah. He was such a big part of that vibe. Well, absolutely. Peter Fonda understands this character so well that you believe everything that comes out of his mouth. You sense that he in some ways maybe is this guy not the bad parts of him. I don't want to, you know, uh, Terry Valentine's an awful piece of shit, but, but there are parts of him that are so LA that seem, at least in my head, this part of LA that I, I, I just find this character and Adara for that matter to be so believable elements of the LA kind of acting, hustling, trying to be famous, trying to be rich. They, they, they just seem so spot on to me. And, and I, I just want to really credit Peter Fonda here for crafting a, a, a very believable guy which is he's not the only one who does that in this film i mean everybody in this film is utterly believable totally yeah and so that's one of the things that i've always kind of liked about the film i mean there's nothing big or flashy about the film in terms of its action pieces it all seems very real to me la noir i guess you know is is, is what uh is what we get out of this the verdict the limey uh, is a wonderful piece of modern noir that i would recommend to anybody uh max or uh, those of you that just listen to the conversation uh, max credited me with enhancing his experience of the film by talking about the ending but i also feel like that my own experience of the entire film has been um ha- has been enhanced just through our conversation because max pointed out some things that I, and some perspectives that i hadn't uh, seen but that's something that a great movie does and this is a great movie it, it's a marvelous marvelous script it might be might be the best screenplay of any movie that we have reviewed uh lem dobbs it's a very, very tight, smart script with um, with dialogue that just does so much work as we as we discussed. And uh, and I know uh, earlier I had mentioned that Dobbs and Soderbergh did not really get along. Dobbs is very critical of Soderbergh's direction. I think Dobbs is wrong. Uh, I think Soderbergh's direction enhances the screenplay because there's more character development here than maybe a first viewing would would show. And I, th- this this film is is marvelously directed. There's not a bad performance in it it's hard to pick the best performance of the film. I think I would probably settle on Fonda. I'm just kind of in awe of, of, of the character that he crafts, but I, I could make a case for any, for anybody. It's, 
it's it's tightly done the music is marvelous it's it it's worth going back to see again and again and again and the editing is very tight even though i think i might have mentioned i'm not the biggest fan of french new wave editing but 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 i also recognize that's more of a personal preference it kind of interferes sometimes with the narrative that i'm following but but it's still um uh, very innovative and brilliant and works very well in this film especially since this is a film as we just discussed has does take place in the protagonist's imagination. And so a lot of that cutting style makes more sense than maybe maybe it would have in one of those older French movies. Um, so I, I would say this is a great, great movie and should be watched. And uh, and, and I hopefully we have given a good a good example of how it's a it's a great movie to watch and then discuss because there's so much that you, that you might miss that somebody else caught and that's that's what that's what great movies are all about absolutely i'll just uh, uh I'll, I'll just add on to this i don't know if jason has, has felt this way as strongly as i have i really enjoy lean movies when done well uh i'm a huge fan of uh david mamet films uh i i grew up really appreciating uh the crime novels of dashiell hammett who was also a very uh lean writer who used character action and 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 snappy well-written dialogue to define characters and this seems like the the perfection of that craft and so it, it, it ties together everything I love in an action film that leanness and smartness of script with my one of my other favorite genres which is the crime genre right I I think that this is a master class in filmmaking that that as Jason said everybody should watch and discuss because I'll see things again the next time I watch it that I miss this time and it's a film that is going to reward you every time you watch it so so yes, 10 out of 10 stars, thumbs up, whatever ranking you've got. I'm at the most positive side of that with regard to the liming. Jason, what are we watching next week? Well, speaking of lean films, uh, next week, we're going to be reviewing Duel. And for those of you who may not know what I'm talking about, you do know that the director of the film, this is Steven Spielberg's first film. It was a made-for-TV movie in 1971. That, that in itself makes it, uh, makes it worth a look and, uh, and a discussion. But I'd like to add, too, one of the great thriller writers is, is based on a, a work by Richard Matheson. Um, yes. And it starred dashing, handsome, svelte leading man, Dennis Weaver. <laughs> Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll bring you all the news you need to know about the film to decide if you want to watch it. Folks, share us with all your friends. Share us on social media. You know my shtick, uh, the Twitters, the Facebooks. Uh, reach me on Twitter at The Separate Test. Maybe, maybe. Email me at lordmovies39 at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next week. Uh oh, you're frozen. We better wrap this up soon. It, it, it is. It definitely is one of those movies. I mean, of course, The Godfather's not lean, but The Godfather is this way, where you can actually have long conversations about what happens in the movie. Um, so we should probably move to the verdict if this is going to start happening again.